Alan Brista is a 1977 film by Robert M. Young. Uh, the name, I believe, translates to The Illegal. Uh, and it tells the story of um, a young Mexican man named Roberto who uh, is living in Mexico and has a, a, a child with his wife and decides that in order to uh, support the child and the wife that he will uh, sneak into California and uh, try to earn some money to bring home. So he does. Uh, and uh, discovers that um, being an undocumented worker in the United States is not quite uh, as simple or as easy as um, he maybe imagined it would be. He uh, goes through uh, quite a number of uh, interesting experiences as someone living in a country where he does not speak a word of the language and uh, you know has no papers, and um, eventually um, kind of discovers maybe that this isn't really the life that he wants um, after all. Uh, hello, and welcome to Cinema Gadfly. Uh, this month, I'm joined by uh, the fabulous West Anthony. West, say hello. Hello. <laughs> hey, buddy. Uh, thank you so much for um, coming on and, and, and joining me to talk about this uh, this film. Um, typically, uh, I would have chosen a, a, a Criterion film for you, but uh, in this case, I asked you if there was anything you particularly wanted to watch, and, and you suggested this one. Um, Why did you pick this one? I chose this film more or less out of outrage uh, because <laughs> of the uh, unfortunate and unwarranted and unintelligent statements of a certain would-be presidential candidate uh, and his uh, sour attitudes towards uh, Mexicans and uh, illegal immigrants. And I just felt that it was just a really disgusting and despicable line of reasoning, if you want to even call it reasoning. Um as a Hispanic American myself, I, I don't have any personal experience with uh, illegal immigration. Uh, you know, I was born here. Uh, my father emigrated to this country from Honduras, and my mother is a third-generation Mexican-American. But, again, as a Hispanic American, I, I do have some familiarity with this experience and with some people who have come here illegally and are just trying to make their way through this life uh in a land that is completely foreign to them for, you know, reasons of, of their own, generally just to, to help support a family back home. And that is what brought me to, to this movie. And that is what made me want other people to see this movie, particularly at this specific point in time in our history in this election year, uh, because it is, uh, particularly coming from a documentary filmmaker, primarily documentary filmmaker like Robert M. Young, the director of this film, uh, it is such a straightforward and unsparing and unvarnished, unsentimental depiction of the travels and the, the, the issues that would befall an illegal immigrant coming into America looking for work. Uh, it's just it's it's really compelling and powerful because it doesn't have a lot of those sort of classic Hollywood trappings. It just presents its story to you very straightforward manner and you just have to deal with it on its own terms. Yeah, I completely agree. When you suggested this film, um, I was also extremely uh, excited to uh, talk about it or at least thought it was extremely important that we talk about it. Um, I am somebody who um, is uh, uh, Jewish and Middle Eastern and my uh, mom's family... Um, my both of my grandparents uh, on my mom's side uh, came here fleeing uh, the Holocaust. Uh, my grandfather was in a concentration camp and escaped. My grandmother lived through a bunch of stuff as well, and they made it here. But my grandfather's uh, parents, 
were uh, attempting to get here after he was here and were denied uh, due to quotas and the kind of closed-minded bigotry that we see uh, on display now. And as a result, they were um, deported to Poland and eventually sent to a concentration camp and killed. Um, I think that a lot of uh, Jewish Americans, along with many other Americans, uh, see these comments and the things that are going on right now and see ourselves reflected in these stories uh, or, or reflected in these faces, you know, of, of Syrian refugees or, um, you know, uh, Mexican uh, immigrants or whoever. And see, and whenever I see, you know, the word Syrian written in one of these screeds, I just see Jew, right? I just picture my, my family being killed because they couldn't come here, right? Uh, so for me, you know, it is, uh, it is such a powerful uh, uh, statement, this film, and such a moment of time right now that we have to... Uh, rise up and fight back against these bigoted, racist, uh, you know, um, I don't know, there's not enough negative words for these people led by their, you know, uh, hopefully never commander-in-chief, right? Uh, um, and I think that this uh, this film is a phenomenal film for that purpose. Um, I absolutely love the film, first of all, but I think it's a phenomenal film for that purpose because, like you said, it's so spare and so documentary-oriented that it doesn't allow the viewer to turn away almost. It doesn't allow the viewer to to imagine this is just a, a fun story or an interesting story, but not something that would really ever happen. This is, like, so real. Yeah, and because, I, yeah. because it is so unmanipulative, the cumulative power of the story just kind of sneaks up on you. And it just gradually just sort of grabs hold of you and it gets tighter and tighter as the story progresses. It just becomes very powerful and overwhelming. And it, I, I really like that about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because it starts out and uh, uh, to be honest with you, my original thought was, man, it's really easy for him to, to cross illegally, right? The first time he comes over, I mean, it's not that easy, right? The, the cops are there and he's being chased and this and that. But it was like not super hard for him to do that. Um, and, and I was like, oh, this is, where is this going? And then it just, step by step, it, the noose tightens in that way, and the fear and the um, the overwhelming dread, you know, that he clearly has, and the, the, the terror that he's living under, and the crazy circumstances that he's living under, you know, this it's not a, you know, this is not an easy journey for him by any means. Right? Yeah, the really hard part is is staying here. Right. Just the day-to-day of it, the constant looking over your shoulder, the constant sleeping with one eye open, the constant wondering of, you know, any stranger that you meet on the street, is this person going to be my friend or is this person going to turn around and turn me into immigration or the cops or something like that? It's, you know, you, you have to be very, very careful. And, you know, to the first thing you were saying, you know, the thing is that, you know, it's, it's not that difficult to get into the United States. And, you know, there's a very good reason for that. It's because we need the cheap labor. And by we, I don't mean you and me personally, but <laughs> just, you know, the, the, the companies that want to keep those profit margins up and would prefer to, to pay people under the table or pay people less than, you know, whatever the hourly minimum wage is in your part of the world. Uh, that, that is how they manage to get around those issues is by hiring illegal immigration. They don't want it to be that difficult for illegal immigrants to get over here. The, you know, those those American companies don't want a wall between our countries any more than you or I do, but for tire, entirely different reasons. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. The, the, the system is set up, you know, and capitalism as a system on its own only works if there's huge discrepancies between people, right? That, that, that There cannot be equality in that sense under that system because then uh, goods cannot be uh, of a price we could afford. Right, that 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 things have. To, the only way you keep these prices the way they are is by exploiting somebody, right? Exactly. Uh, 
And in the case of illegal immigrants, I mean, it's not just exploitation. It's really, in a way, it's like they're sort of being held hostage in a manner of speaking, because you can't complain about anything without the possibility of just, well, then your boss is just going to have you thrown out of the country. And then that's, that's it for you. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter how dangerous the, the, your workplace might be. It doesn't matter what kind of hazards you have to endure, what kind of, you know, hellish, uh, uh, heat or freezing cold you might have to deal with. Uh, they don't care because they don't have to. And if you make any move to complain, they can just throw you away and replace you with a, any of a hundred other people who are heading in this direction right now. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And also uh, something I, I, I thought about a lot while I was watching this is that, you know, Roberto is occasionally uh, put upon by people who have uh, ill will towards him. You know, either they're trying to rob him or they're trying to do whatever. And not only that, but he can't, you know, uh, even if he was someone who wanted to try to get help from who is he going to go to for help? Right. Exactly. Who can you trust? You can't trust anyone. And certainly not law enforcement. Certainly not law enforcement. I, I mean, I'm not sure that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily someone who would trust law enforcement anyway, but, you know, <laughs> in that moment, right, like, he can't, he gets robbed, there's literally nothing he can do about it. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. it's just, and that's that's just one of the, the, the many difficulties and horrors that this movie is trying to depict, you know, and the thing, one of the things that, that always sticks in my mind most about the movie is this, the... The bit where he, you know, Roberto strikes up a friendship with the, this other guy, Joe, who just he just seems like such a, a, a fun, guileless uh, fellow. And, and you're not sure at first if he's going to be a help or a hindrance, because there is a bit where they're 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 on a train. They're trying to get from one, from one place to another. They're trying to get to Stockton, California, and they're on a train. And God knows why. Yeah. And and Joe is just acting in just a dangerously, stupidly irresponsible manner, which does eventually, you know, get them in, in you know, put them in danger. And you think that, well, that, that, that could be bad, but I mean, he overall though, he's kind of, a, he's just a well-meaning sort of goofy, happy go lucky guy. And then the next thing that happens is they try to continue their train journey, but except this time, instead of being on a train car, they're going to try it under a train car. And this is just one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. They just take a couple of boards and put them between these two uh, uh, metal bars or rails underneath the train car. And they're just going to lie down on that and travel on the train that way. That is, is just incredibly harrowing. And so they're, they're on that. And then you get to the end of that scene fades into the next scene and Roberto is, you know, opens, finally opens his eyes because the, the train has come to a stop and he looks over and, well, Joe is gone. Yeah, it was so powerful and so well done. Like, just from a filmmaking perspective, I mean, it's a, it's a harrowing thing to think about anyway. But then the, from the filmmaking perspective, like, you know, they're going to get on this train and you see what, how they're going to ride this. And you're like, that seems like a terrible idea and then, i mean you know just a terrible idea and then the 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 camera like pans away so you're just watching like the craziness of a train speeding by underneath you know you don't see them and then when it comes back you know roberto is is covered in in soot and these things and you know holding on like shaking because he's you know been holding on for so long presumably hours you know and all this stuff and he looks over and yeah just the guy's gone the boards are gone he's gone and there's no, you know, the conclusion is very, very clear as to what happened to him. And, and that is also just so traumatic. And to think that even if Roberto had heard something, he just has to hold on, right? There's nothing, there's nothing he can do. Yeah, it's not like he could stop the train and have him go back and pick him up. And, no. and, it's just, and yeah, and the, cinematically, just the, the way that it's handled is just, it's, 
it just blows my mind because again, there's, there's no dramatic uh, camera movement to, to no. the empty space where Joe used to be. There's no sort of manipulative Hollywood music or anything like that. It's just, well, this is what happened. And now our hero has to go on to the next thing. That's it. That's all there is because again, for, for a guy in his circumstance, that is all there is. He barely even has time to, to, to mourn because again, he is, he is pretty much a fugitive. He's on the run. He, he's got to just make his living and not get caught and get thrown back into Mexico. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he goes directly from that to working in a backbreaking field. Oi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's so, it's just so unsentimental. It's like, this is just this guy, they, the film doesn't, um, doesn't sugarcoat anything. It also doesn't over the top dramatize anything. It's just like a very personal story for this guy that is also very accessible that you can imagine any of these things happening. There's nothing overly ridiculous, right? There's, you know, goofy moments, but there's nothing. It's a very reasonable story. And the guy just has to move on because what he has no choice. Uh, and, and you know, his, his he's, he's actually very lucky in, in parts of the film that he befriends these people. I mean, people are trying to help him in various ways, which I found really interesting. But even that is just a tiny lift up, up from the horrific nature of his circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I liked also about the movie is that when you get into the second act and uh, he meets the uh, the, the waitress, uh, Sharon, yeah, and there's this sort of a relationship there, which itself is kind of, it has a troubling aspect to it because, of course, you know, the hero has a wife and child at home. That's in, why he in, went there in the first place. In yes. Mexico, yeah. And he came over here to get money to send back to them. Um uh, but then he he meets this uh, this waitress Sharon and and they sort of they they sort of fall into a little relationship together themselves and and it, here again is another instance where Robert Young could sort of fall into this sort of Hollywood trap where when Sharon finds out that Roberto has a family back home you know she could just say well how dare you and slap him in the face and 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 storm off and that's the end of that but instead no she just sort of she makes note of it. It registers on her face. She's aware of the circumstances, but then she just keeps going. It's acknowledged, and then they move on because that's just something that happens. Uh, you know, again, it's not something that I I care to judge people on about who they uh, they they take up with in a relationship or the reasons why. I mean, well, look, you know the reason why generally because you need somebody, and if this is the person that's available for her, and there's nobody else available for her, well, then she's going to hold on to this guy. That's just the way things work sometimes. Yeah, and the flip side to that is, you know, he <laughs> he needs a place to stay. Like, I'm not saying he's not interested in her. I think there is some indication that there is some tenderness on both sides there that, you know, he he buys her a gift and this and that and but but he at the bottom of of it, you know, he's trying to work a job to send money back to his family. It is much easier for him. He spent, you know, one night trying to sleep on the street and it did not work out very well. So for him to have a place that he can go to sleep and it allows him to get a better job, right? He's doing that. Although, did you think it was weird that he was like standing there as they were crop dusting fields with chemicals? Uh, no, because again, this I don't goes mean weird. Like, I mean, bad for him. Oh no. Cause again, this, this goes back to what I was saying before is that employers in those, you know, who are hiring illegal immigrants, they're hiring them, especially specifically because they don't care what happens to them. Right. So they don't have to follow standards. They don't have to care about health. Yeah. They don't they don't have, anything. Yeah. They don't have to give him any kind of a, you know, a gas mask or something to cover his face with nope. uh, so that he doesn't have to breathe in these chemicals. They don't care. That's yeah. why they, that's, that's why they're hiring you that way. 
Yeah, that's the whole reason that you're right. You're so right. I, I, I didn't even put that together. It's, you're so right. He's just disposable to them. Yep. Um, and for him, it's like, oh, I got this great new job. I, I make more money. Yeah. That I can send back home. Yeah, it's really Not, sad. It's really funny. It's really sad. And then the thing yeah. that I sort of, I didn't really expect is the sort of turn of events in, in the third act, which again, could have been handled in a very sort of uh, Hollywood drippy manner. But, and it also sort of, uh, sort of turns on a dime the, the 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 way that you might feel about his relationship with Sharon, and then you you get to the third act, and you sort of see how it's not a good thing, and it sort of could lead him down a road that he never really intended to go, and that's how where he finds out that uh, his father, who walked away from his family when he was a kid, is still in the United States, and he finds him, he finds his his own father in the third act of the film, yeah. And then even that goes south because his father has a heart attack and dies basically right yeah. in front of him. And so the, the character, you know, Roberto now he kind of sees in his own father, he sees himself. He sees the, the life that he could end up with if he stays where he is. And that, that death is obviously it's, it's very jolting and affecting to him. Uh, and it shows him that he's not necessarily on the path that he really feels like he should be on and that is that gives him the impetus to go home yeah i wonder if his father also you know initially sent money and they don't really cover that at all but i mean his father has definitely ended up in his own you know sharon relationship that but that one that progresses i think he has even has a kid right that that this other guy offers to take him to meet you know that roberto doesn't have really any, any interest in doing but i think yeah i definitely think he sees like oh okay this is where this goes and also he's now in this you know he's gone back he's come back he's now in this very sketchy situation where people are like living in abandoned cars yeah. right i mean it's his nothing has really <laughs> gone you know well for this guy obviously so I think, yeah, I think that's a, a moment where he sees into his own future and goes, you know what, this isn't, this isn't the way, this isn't worth it. You know? And I think that brings us to the whole point here, which is that you know, I think there's this misconception among some people in this country that, that, that people want to come here, uh, and sometimes they do. I, I mean, obviously some people try to immigrate here for any number of reasons, and some of them just want to be here, but a lot of people are here because they need to be somewhere. And they need to be able to support themselves, and there's no opportunity where they are. And they would much rather be there, but all of that opportunity is here. Yeah, and that's exactly what Roberto is going through, is what many, many illegal immigrants from Mexico are going through here in the United States today. Is that They're not here because they love America. They want to be back home in Mexico with their loved ones. They're here because here is where the money is. There's no money to be made back home. You know, they, they, there's... There's just no employment. There's no money. The wages are terrible or what have you. You come up here and even though the, the wages that they're going to earn here are not great by our standards, they're like a king's ransom to, to them. And they're just going to take that money and they're going to turn around and they're going to send a bunch of it back home to their family. That's why they're here. They're here to support their families back home. Yeah. And as you know, if the circumstances arise where they're able to go back home and and make a living and provide for their family there, they'll do it. They'll be off like a shot, believe me. Because this isn't... I know that America is paradise to a number of people, and I know that there are plenty of people who are refugees from other countries where they're they're escaping, you know, genocide or or prejudice or this the threat of, of death or oppression or, and what have you. And to those people, yes, the United States is a paradise. And come on over. You know, that's fine. But... 
then the people coming from Mexico, in many instances, they're just here because they need the money. That's it. No more, no less. And if the money wasn't here, they wouldn't be here either. Yeah, worth noting that, well, as I said, while my family were refugees and not uh, immigrants and certainly not illegal immigrants, um, the fact that they were refugees, even then, meant that some of my relatives wanted to assimilate to the culture they had come to because they were here and they wanted to be a part of it. But a lot of them were like, they didn't really want to be here. They just couldn't be where they were because they would be killed, right? So they actually kept a lot of their traditions and, and, and culture and passed it on because they didn't think those things were bad, right? Yeah, uh, which they aren't. I which mean, they know, aren't, you're, you're, exactly. Your, your yeah. culture is your culture. And, yeah. you know, again, as a Hispanic American, my culture is, fr- frankly, it's largely American you know, because that's that's you know, this is the country that I grew up in. So, you know, I'm a guy who loves cheeseburgers and rock and roll and the Beatles and, and blue jeans and so forth. Uh, that's that's just the way I turned out, you know, there, but there's there, there's nothing about my culture that, uh, you know, I feel is uh, is inherently that something that I need to force on other people. But I right. know some other people have a different view of that. Right. These like this idea that, oh, if you, you know, it used to be a, a, a choice in that sense, right, where my, my uncle, yeah. uh, very, very ingrained in American culture, wanted to be that hot dog eating baseball loving kid. And my mom didn't necessarily, you know, assimilate at the same level or be interested in that in the same way. And that was OK. That was a choice they made. Right. But now it's like, oh, we have this like standard and, you know. Uh, everyone has this, certainly not everyone, but the people we're talking about have this vision of like what it means to be American that if you do not match up with, then you are not acceptable to them. Yeah. And that is so incredibly scary, especially for a country that has no official language, that has no establishment of religion, that was, people seriously, not created to be a Christian country. Yeah, right? except you know, try telling those people you're referring to, t- try telling them that. They oh, believe that English is the official language of, and they believe that America was founded as a Christian nation. And right. you know, in fact, the, 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 both of those things are not true. But that's yeah. yeah but that that's the attitude they take. Well, you're here, so now you have to be like us. Right, right. Meanwhile, you know, they're maybe they're holding on to some minimal amount of tradition from wherever their family originally came from. Although in, in a lot of cases, not really at all anymore. It's and the movie just does it just 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 does such a wonderful way. I mean, it's not you know it's not fun. This is not a fun movie, right? It's not all bleak. I don't want to. I don't think either of us want anyone to think that there are very pleasant parts of this movie. Um, some some real humor, some real nice moments between people and stuff like that. But this is not a fun movie. No. But I think it's an important. Yes. Yes. It is. And again, as I said, it, particularly in, at this point in time. Uh, I, I think it's a very important movie and a very worthwhile movie for people to look at. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think uh, you know this should be this should be shown in schools, like they show you know the old Romeo and Juliet, or I don't know. We we saw um, of mice and men in school, right? It's, it's oh, kind really? of like of that nature. Actually, it was a really cool project where they um, had twelve people who'd never read the book or seen the movie go to a different classroom for a few weeks and study the judicial system. And the rest of us watched Of Mice and Men. And then we had a trial that they were the jury for. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's actually really cool. <laughs> Which version of, uh, of Mice and Men did you see? Uh, it's got to be the 60s one, right? Hmm. Are they both 60s? Where's When's that movie? Well, I don't know. I, there was one from like 1939 that had Lon Chaney in it. And then I, there was one from like the, either the late 80s or early 90s with Gary Sinise and John Malkovich. Uh, maybe it was the TV version from 68. 
Oh, okay. Well, then that I wouldn't have any familiarity with that one. I don't know. I honestly don't remember. That's very interesting. That's a good point. I know we mostly read the book, but I do remember watching a movie adaptation of it. Maybe it was the 39 film. It, it could have been, although it seems like it would have been hard for us at that point. But maybe. At any rate, it was a cool project. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Good way to learn about things. Not really related to what we're talking about, but a good way to learn about things. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there anything else you wanted to say about this one? Uh, well, let's see. There's there's uh, a couple of uh, actors in here that uh, people might remember or have some familiarity with. First and foremost would be Ned Beatty. The wonderful, the wonderful Ned Beatty. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of surprising to see him in this movie, especially when you consider that just the year before this movie was released, I mean, he was in Network for which he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for, like, one scene. He was in one scene in that movie, and he made just a tremendous impression. And, I mean, it's not like he's a big-time movie star or something like that, but, I mean, he's certainly by that time in the late 70s, he was enough of an established actor in Hollywood that he didn't necessarily need to do these small little independent movies. So I think No, he was in All the President's Men, for God's sake. Yeah, and then after this, he was in Superman. Superman 1 and 2. Yeah. So in yeah. fact, in fact, I don't know how he found the time to do this because that that Superman production thing dragged on and on and on. Everybody was wrapped up in that for a long time, but uh, <laughs> but it was just it's cool to see him, sort of you know, taking time out from doing those kinds of Hollywood movies to do this sort of small independent project. I thought that was really cool. Um, Edward James Olmos, if you blink and you'll you'll miss him. He has one scene as sort of a drunk guy out on the street one night. Uh, he and and Robert Young uh, they go way back. So they've they've done a number of projects together, uh, which uh, almost will tell you himself if you look at the special features on this this disc. He, he there's an interview with him, which was was very nice. Yeah, he's a gem as well. Yeah, those those two guys, and it's it's one of those things where you know, well, I mean, with Ned Beatty, even at the time, you might have been like, whoa, Ned Beatty's in this or that guy or whatever you say about him. But Edward James, almost, it's one of those things where if you watch the movie, you know, now. Uh, it's it's so if you can pick him up and you might not because he is very young he does not have he does not look anything like the Battle, Battlestar Galactica uh, uh, guy no yet. mustache but but uh, it's one of those things where you're like oh my god that's Edward James Olmos and it changes kind of how you view the film in a weird kind of way I always find like when I when I see things of people who became famous much later or are in things that I otherwise know them for. I'm just like, whoa, that's what that's crazy, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And see yeah. also the other thing that I, I I liked seeing Ned Beatty in there because also it occurs to me that, you know, back in the seventies the seventies was, I think, an open minded enough decade that a guy like Ned Beatty appearing in a movie like this would probably encourage some people to come out and see it who might otherwise not see it. Again, he's not a, never been a big-time Hollywood star. It's never, you know, Ned Beatty in this. You never saw that on a theater marquee. But I think that people in, in the 70s were sort of... Where film culture in the 70s, I think, was very, very much more sophisticated, I think, than it is today. Uh, audiences would have seen that he was in a movie back then and said, oh, well, I'm going to go check that out. I like Ned Beatty. I liked him in this movie. I liked him in, in that movie. I liked him in Deliverance or whatever. And so they'll go and see him in this movie. Not like today where, for instance, like, you know, if a, a similar character actor like Paul Giamatti, say, if Paul Giamatti lent himself to a small independent film, most audiences today would be like, so? Yeah. I mean, you have to be the level of stardom. Yeah, you have to be a really a top line person for anyone to care. Like, you know, Maybe I mean Don Cheadle has that Miles Davis movie coming out, right? Yeah, uh, made made by my uncle, 
uh, by the way. Oh, really? Um, yeah, my uncle is the cinematographer. Oh, far out. But um, I'm very excited to see that one. But, uh, um, you know, I don't even know if Don Cheadle's a big enough name for a lot of people. And it's like, oh, is that the guy from... Which which one of the Iron Man guys is that? You know, it's like that maybe that's where he's at, or oh oh, Ocean's Eleven. But yeah, I think you're right. Like back then, people followed the careers of people who we would today not consider to be big stars. Yeah. yeah. So it was. So that I think that's kind of cool, and I think it's, it's kind of noble of him to noble of Ned Beatty to to lend him his support to a project like this, especially when he's playing a character who is the embodiment of evil in a sense, right? Like, I mean, he's not on the side of the angels in this film. Definitely not. Although even he isn't like sort of, it's not like a cartoons villain kind of guy. No, not at all. You get the sense that this is exactly how these people are. He's just doing his business. Yeah, exactly. And again, that just goes to, to, to another point as far as the, just the reality of this movie and how the things are just presented in a very straightforward, unsparing, unsentimental manner that, you know, even the bad guys, they're not, he's not like a, a mustache twirling villain going, <laughs> it's, you know, the, the face of evil can be just as bland as anything else. No, totally. You get the sense, I think, in this film that everyone is doing something that makes sense for them at that time in some fashion and that it's just a machine that is corrupt and broken, that is that we've prioritized the wrong things, that we've cared about the wrong things, and that it sets everyone up for these situations. Yeah. yeah. And then the the last actor I wanted to mention was Jerry Hardin, who uh, yeah. the, the motor mouth in the cafe scene who's just going on and on with this weird story and cackling with glee at something that apparently he's the only person on Earth who finds is funny. Uh, it was just... It was funny to see him in there because he's the guy who plays Deep Throat on the, the X-Files television series. Yes, and his daughter, Melora Hardin, of course, from uh, NBC's The Office, Jan from The Office. So, you know, it's just one of those things. These, these people really, I mean, the, 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 in, the in, you know, family stuff in Hollywood is pretty incredible. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, Deep Throat, man. I, any of you are watching, uh, watching the new uh, HD X-Files, which I know Ryan is... Uh, deep throat <laughs> yeah i haven't seen any of the new ones i haven't either if you want you know maybe this is good pre uh if you haven't started it you got to watch this first right he did this before yeah i guess required required watching <laughs> we're gonna say <laughs> uh, all right anything else you wanted to mention uh no no i think that that covers it just uh again to reiterate that i think it's uh it's a really important film i think that its importance has sadly only grown over the years because the the question of illegal immigration is something that has never been solved to anyone's satisfaction i don't know that it ever will be certainly not in my lifetime at least um you know just people keep coming up with more and more insipid and stupefyingly dense uh, uh solutions to a problem that I, I don't think they realize is as institutionalized in this country as it is, uh, how deeply ingrained the need for illegal, illegal immigration is to the engine that runs this country. But uh, this is a film that I think might give you at least some ground level understanding of the illegal immigrant experience, which is and maybe it it won't change your mind. Maybe it won't, uh, affect you maybe it, it will not allow you a, a, a moment of sympathy or humanity for what illegal immigrants go through every day but i had to try yeah uh i i, I don't really have anything to add to that other than you know just everyone should at some point see this film i really think that it will open eyes some part of this will be a surprise to you even if you know 
Like I, a lot of this was not a surprise to me. And then you hear me say something about the um, crop dusting, right? Like something will catch you and you'll be like, oh man, I didn't think about that. That's so, you know, something that I should be thinking about or, or whatever. I mean, this is, you know, it's also, it's a, a great movie and, and, and everything like that. It's like I said, not the most fun movie, but so worthwhile. I really, you know, I don't know. I think everyone should see it. So, um, with that in mind, thank you so much for, for showing up to tell everyone about it. Um, do you want to tell people more about what you're up to? Uh, yeah, I'm the host of a podcast, a weekly podcast called Musical Notation with West Anthony. Uh, it is a film music podcast. Every week I, uh, I discuss some form of music that appears in film throughout uh, film history. Uh, I'm part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet, so you can find the show at battleshippretension.com, but you can also subscribe to it on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher. You can follow the show on Twitter at NotationPod, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. West Anthony. And you should do all of those things, because this podcast is so absolutely wonderful. Uh, and if you like this po- the podcast you're listening to right now, I just really think that it's highly unlikely you will not enjoy this show. It's digestible, it's short episodes, it's funny it's informative um i've definitely found out about a couple of things i had no knowledge of uh that i found fascinating it's just it's it's one of my current absolute favorite podcasts that's why i was so excited uh, when wes said he'd uh, he'd grace me with his presence it, please please everybody go go check out that podcast as soon as you're done listening to this one so um uh, as for this one you can find out more information at cinemagadfly.com or on twitter at cinemagadfly and uh, we'll be back next time to take a look at the film that Wes chose for me uh, until then I'll say to everyone good night ¿Qué es lo primero que quieres pedir cuando entra un café? Tortillas y frijoles Aquí en Estados Unidos no pides ham, eggs and coffee What do you Ham, eggs, coffee <laughs> <laughs>